0: Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneer Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion
1: Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. The bottom of 987. End of note. Returning to the body of text.
2: Returning to the body of the text, the Alter rabbi now goes on to illustrate how one utterance, let there be firmament, created the extensive components of the world, as well as their specific creatures. Notice of the Rebbe Shlita. This also helps us understand the degree to which the divine unity may be perceived in relation to the created beings of this world too, in that the seven heavens and all their celestial hosts were created and live and exist from the solitary utterance. Let there be firmament. As for example, through the words of the utterance, let there be a firmament, the seven heavens and all their components celestial hosts were created. Thus our sages of blessed memory speak of the firmament called Shehakim, in which stand millstones that grind manna for, t- for the tzedakah. The firmament called Zvul, in which stand the heavenly Jerusalem and the holy temple and the altar, and the firmament called Machan, in which there are stores of snow and stores of hail. Each of the seven firmaments has its general nature, the fact that it is a firmament as well as its individual aspect as exemplified above.
1: Right, the Talmud says that the, the world is divided, there are seven heavens, seven days a week, are seven heavens, and... Um, Each heaven is distinct, and within each heaven, you also have different individual aspects. For example, the heaven that's called Shechakim, that's where the man comes from. The man is food that that came directly from heaven. It's called food from heaven, heavenly food, uh, because it was a spiritual food. It was spiritual sustenance that had no refuse. It was pure. That's why the Jews complained. And the complaint was that it that they never went to the bathroom there was no it was pure food it was one hundred percent there was no calories and there were no <laughs> it was uh, fat free and cholesterol free it was perfect food well, could you and they complained with that today if you could, um. <laughs> they were, they they complained about it but where did this food come from? this food was a spiritual food that came from <coughs> the heaven that's called shachakim. then you have the heaven. The firmament, which is called Zuvu, which is the place where you have Jerusalem and the holy temple and the altar. Because although there is a physical temple and there's a physical Jerusalem, there's also a heavenly Jerusalem, a parallel Jerusalem, a parallel temple. And within the temple itself, the temple reflected it. The physical temple reflected this reality because the temple had a, a second story, a parallel floor to the ground floor, the main sanctuary had a second floor which paralleled the Holy of Holies and the main room because the whole, the, everything in this world also has a, a spiritual counterpart, parallel, a parallel universe. So the heavenly temple and the heavenly altar and the heavenly, like it says, that uh, Michal, the angel, sacrifices. What are the sacrifices in the heavenly altar, the heavenly temple? The souls of the righteous ones. When the tzaddik passes away, that's like an offering. His soul is offered as an atonement for the Jewish people. So that's the sacrifice that's offered in the heavens above. So this is the heavenly altar, the heavenly temple, and the heavenly city of Jerusalem. And it says when Mashiach will come, the third temple, the temple that's already prepared in heaven. Because the fact that the temple was destroyed in this world is a reflection that the temple was destroyed in heaven therefore, as a symptom, as a consequence, that the temple was destroyed in this world. The temple is ready in heaven. Now, through our efforts, through our Torah, through our mitzvah, through our self-sacrifice, through thousands of years of sweat and toil and, and sincerity and wholesomeness and mitzvahs and good deeds, and, and the self-sacrifice, we've built brick by brick, we've built stone by stone, we've built that temple. That temple has been built. And the good news is, as the Rebbe has testified, and all the great uh, tzaddikim, that we, the temple is ready in heaven. The heavenly temple is ready. At any moment, that temple will descend from heaven and will manifest itself in this physical world. It actually says the third temple will be made of fire. Um, the walls will be made of fire. Who knows? Maybe laser, maybe... <laughs> but... Uh, It will be made, so it's the heavenly temple that's ready to descend at a moment's notice. And then he says the firmament that's called Machon, which there are snow, stores of snow and stores of hail. Because again, everything that happens in the physical world is just a symptom of what's happening in the spiritual world. When there's physical snow, a snowstorm, when there's hail, when there are tsunamis, whatever's going on in this world, hurricanes, it's not just things just to happen because of Mother Nature, the laws of nature. It's just a symptom of what's happening. It's like when a person cries, yes, of course, there are tears. And I can, I can dissect the tear and I can talk, talk about the mechanics of the tear and the Mother Nature and laws of nature, the, the, the science of the tear. But that's not the story of the tear. The story of the tear is the emotion, the sadness that's bringing the tear or the overwhelming joy. It's bringing tears to your eyes. Of course, that's intangible, that's spiritual, that you can't bring to the laboratory, that you can't dissect. But that's the real story. So everything in the physical world, just like the tear has a spiritual source so you can't see, so too everything in the scientific world, in the world you can measure and analyze and dissect, is merely a symptom. All the rules of nature are merely a symptom of what's happening spiritually. Continue. The heavens as a whole.
0: The heavens as a whole were created and live and exist through the aggregate words of the utterance, let there be a firmament. In general terms, their existence as heavens
1: results from the comprehensive illumination contained within the words, let there be a firmament. The general, all these seven levels and seven heavens and seven different dimensions of reality, all of that is created from one sentence. From the sentence, let there be a heaven, let there be a firmament. And... All of these heavens are contained, and firmaments are contained within these words, because these words are represent an illumination, a channeling of the divine energy, the divine creative energy, and that divine creative energy um, creates all of these all of these firmaments. Although you have seven firmaments, and then he's going to go on and say you yeah, have within each firmament you have so many individual created beings, but nevertheless. They all come from this one sentence, so the, the, there is a greater unity. Ultimately, they all have one source. So even the even the uh, words and letters that create, that represent the different uh, energies that create the universe, even that's not so fragmented. So not only when you go back to the original source, the infinite light, or if you go back to the divine emotional attribute which contains everything was created on the first day, for example, water and light. But even when you, when you go a step further and you to the level of the words and letters that actually channel and differentiate and create different words, different letters, different energies that create different realities, different objects or levels, nevertheless, even that's pretty unified. Because it's basically one sentence, boils down to one sentence. There should be a firmament. And all that those words created all of the seven heavens and everything that's contained within these seven heavens. And if you take all the ten utterances, in the beginning of the book of Genesis, with which God creates the world and constantly and continuously creates the world, these ten utterances are made up of twenty two letters. The entire language is made up of twenty two letters. So this multiple universe, this, this is a pluralistic universe that's made up of, of almost infinite variety, it all boils down to 22 letters. So it's not so fragmented as we think. There's an underlying unity that really unites it all and connects it all. Continue. And each individual... Each
0: individual created being in the seven heavens was created and lives and exists by virtue of some combination of the letters of these words or their substitutions and transpositions.
1: As he will explain, that the, those objects that are mentioned directly in the ten utterances, in the ten brief sentences mentioned in the beginning of the book of Genesis, they are the, the huge items, the items which you see the hand of God, you know, it, it's more manifest. But every single thing is contained within those sentences, because every individual item has its own name, its own Hebrew name. And that name is the channel, is, represents the different channels of energy, the differentiation of that energy, the fusion of that energy into this particular individual being. So all of these individual items and beings are reflected within that short sentence, let to be a firmament. How do you derive from these few words, these choice words, how do you derive all these multitude of beings with all the multitude of different names? as he explained earlier, because in the Hebrew language, the language is written in code. There are many ways of decoding the language. Substitution, um, changing the words, uh, transpositions, there's numerical value of the words, there is many, many alphabets, for example, where the first letter is substituted for the last letter. So, through using all of these different Hebrew alphabets and numerical values, you can come up with the names of every single item that's found in these seven heavens, in these seven, in these seven, um, in these seven firmaments. So everything is contained within the general sentence, and you can find all the specific details within, within this, this general sentence. Okay, continue.
0: These combinations, substitutions and transpositions being according to the quality of the life <coughs> force of that particular creature. For every change in a combination is an intermixing and interweaving of the powers and life forces in a different form. For example, the three Hebrew letters, Aleph, Beis, and Nun, that particular order comprised the word Evan, which is the name and life force of a stone. When, however, these self-same letters are transposed, a different form of a creative power and life force, and consequently a
1: different creature comes into being. Right. So it depends on on the letter, the order of the letter, and if you substitute the letter to a different letter, and you end up with a different letter, so you also end up with a different a different creature, a different being, with its own nature, its own characteristic traits. So although... The source is Evan, but Evan, this life energy, in the words Evan, in the word Evan, um, as a result of the combination, the unique combination of Evan al- of Beit Nun, if you mix up the letters and if you substitute the letters, you end up with a with another life source, another creative life source, and therefore it creates another being, another entity. Since each letter, antecedent
0: in the combination, dominates, and it is the essential force in this created being. Since, for example, Aleph is the first letter of the word Evan, it is the dominant force in the created being that bears this name. If it is a letter stemming from the attribute of Chesed, kindness, then that attribute will predominate. If it is a letter of of severity, a different attribute will prevail while the others, i.e. the other letters and forces contained within the word, are subordinate to it and are included in its light. And thereby, through the different combinations of the same letters, a new being is created.
1: Like we find the whole idea of a, an abbreviation, that you use one letter and that letter represents a whole word. The first letter usually represents the whole word, because the whole word is contained within the first letter. The first letter is the dominant letter and the most important letter of the entire word. So, depending on the first letter of the, of the word, and the first letter of the word becomes the dominant letter, and therefore, the object that's created with that word, with that letter, creates a certain type of energy, a certain type of flavor. It's the most important letter. It's the leader. It's the first. We all know the important, importance of the first. Like first. Like first impression. First impression, like the first child. The first uh leaves already leaves you know everyone remembers the first number one who remembers number two the first you always remember the first leaves the first impression there's nothing like a first impression first impression that dominates that already sets the tone everything else just follows so if it's not just the first letter if you have a first letter alone it's not enough you have a whole word you need the whole combination but the first letter dominates and prevails that's why you have the concept of rashi tevet that one letter represents the entire word, because one letter really contains within it the entire word, because that's the predominant, most powerful letter mix in the group. I don't know, is that anyone into chemistry? Anyone remembers that chemistry? You, you make different combinations of chemicals, I guess. It's the same idea, you mix different mixes of different, different combinations, you get different results. So the, you know, and how the order and the sequence, and you change the order, you change the sequence, so the same with the letters, that, you change the letters around, but most importantly, what is the first letter? The first letter sets the tone for the entire, and by changing the letters around, you get an entire new creation, a new entity, a new energy, a new channeling, a new aspect of the same source, because ultimately you all come from the same source, you all come from the same sentence, which ultimately comes from the same emotional attribute. Like you said earlier, from the attribute of love, of kindness, you get light, or, and you get water. They both reflect attributes, the attribute of kindness, but you have different aspects of, of, of Asha, the divine I emotional attribute.
3: Every first letter in every word.
1: Yes, the Hebrew. We're talking, talking about the Hebrew. Yes, the Hebrew letter. The first letter is the dominant letter, and that determines the 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 rest of the of the. Yeah, that that's the prevailing and predominant. That sets the tone for the whole letter, um, and that's why one letter represents the whole word. And then, likewise through, the
0: likewise, through the substitution of letters or their transpositions, when, for example, not only is the order of the letters changed, but an aleph, say, is substituted
1: for an ayin. Okay, like you said earlier, that sometimes we change a letter because they're in the same family of letters. You know, you have different, you have like five different families within the alphabet, you have five different families. Like the aleph, ches, hay, ayin come from the guttural, ach, heh, right, from the throat. Throat. And then What's you have Bump, Beis, Vav, Mem, come from the lips. You, you move the lips together. And you have uh, Taled, Tes, Lamed, Nun, Taf, comes from the, the roof, uh, the, the roof of the mouth. The tongue touches the roof of the mouth. And Gichak, um, Giml, Yud. Chof, kuf, comes from the, the top uh, row of, uh, of your teeth, the back of it, right, the pal- yeah. Gimel, Gimel, or the top, the top of your mouth. Um, so this is the idea of substitute letters. Sometimes we substitute within one family of the other, like echad. This whole portion of Tanya is based on the concept of the higher level of unity and the lower level of unity. And he said the higher level of unity is Shema Yisrael Hashem elekenu, Hashem Echad. The higher level of unity is Baro, void ma Machus, Elolam, void. void and Echad are substitutes because the Aleph and the Vav, oh, Ahavi, Aleph, He, Vav, Yud, are connecting letters. So they're in the same family of letters. Echad, Ches, and Ayin are guttural, so from the same, from the throes, from the same family, so they substitute, and dalid and dalid. Just Dalid Echad is a big Daled, and Void is a regular Dalit, but they're, they're Dalits. So here you have the idea, they're substitute, they're in the same family, they're connected, because both of them are about God's unity, but you can't compare the original word to the substitute word, that's a secondary word, because the higher word, the original word, Hashem Echad, Shema Yisrael, represents the higher level of unity the ultimate level of unity, while va'ed represents the lower level of unity, as we've been learning at great length throughout the last uh, 12 chapters. Um, so here you, you see the concept of substitute letters. And a substitute is not just, we're playing games, you know, let's just substitute one letter for the next. There is an inherent connection between these two words, and, and that's the reason why it's a substitute, because it's a secondary level, it's a lower level, it's, it's the higher level, the way it projects itself into a lower level, so it's the idea of unity, but on a lower level, and that's why it's not the, the direct word; it's a substitute word, a letter. And um, and the same idea is through exchange through the different Hebrew alphabets, which there are many Hebrew Hebrew alphabets. One of the more famous ones is called Atbash, where you substitute the first letter for the last letter, the second second to the first, the second to the last. So it's like a coded alphabet. So again, you have a letter, and this letter ends up being another letter which is a reflection. It's not the direct letter. It's a reflection of the letter, and it creates a lesser being, so to speak. It channels the energy into a... a, It screens the energy even into a lower level that it's even more removed from its original source, and it differentiates it even further, and it creates an entity in which the energy is not so prominent. For example, Evan, The word Evan stone, is not found in the Ten Utterances. It's there because everything is there. Everything that exists is found in the Ten Utterances. Everything that exists is only created through the Hebrew letters, through its Hebrew name, and it's being created each and every moment. God is creating it through the Ten Utterances, which He spoke in the beginning in the Book of Genesis, and He's still speaking as we speak. But the word Evan, you're not going to find it directly. It's indirectly, either through substitutions or, or exchange or numerical value, and there's a reason why it's indirect. Because the energy in a stone is so low. It's not like the energy in a heaven. Heaven is heaven. Heaven is an angelic, is heavenly, is blissful. It's divine. It's transparent. That's why the divine energy is manifest. It's powerful. Or sun and moon. You look at the sun and the moon, you get a more direct sense of godliness. Because the sun is constant. And it's, it's the, the influence of the sun in the world and, and the influence of the moon... So you get a, a more clear and direct sense of godliness. So those words are able to contain a more powerful energy, a more direct energy of God. While the stone, the stone is life, appears lifeless. It doesn't move. It's material. It's dense. But it has an energy. It has a soul. The divine creative energy that's creating the stone this very moment. Because what's the stone really? The stone really is not the stone. The stone is really the divine energy. It's a swirling energy. It's a vibrant energy. It's a process of creation that's ongoing this very moment. We don't see it. So how do you how do you create a stone? So in order to create the stone, the letters have to go through many many layers and levels, and it has to be diminished and it has to be screened, and until you're able to channel the energy, and it becomes like so far from the source, so to speak, that you don't see the direct. Connection to its, source. it's able to contain a very minute energy to create a stone, an unmovable stone that can stand still for thousands of years, which is the exact opposite of the energy that's creating it, which is vibrant and dynamic and alive and changing and creative. And here you can have a stone that doesn't move. You're saying this, that the stone has a, has a soul, and I, I, I right. know that it has a, a life. That's the soul. That's but the soul. It's energy. Everything has a soul. Even, even even a stone has a soul. The soul is its creative energy that's creating it this very moment. The stone is nothing more than the result of the creating, creative energy which is ongoing. It's a dynamic process that's ongoing each and every moment. The world is being recreated each and every moment as we speak. We don't see it. We don't sense it. To us, the world appears to be very materialistic and very fragmented and very dense. And, and, uh, but the truth is it's the opposite. The world is alive. The world is electric. The world is godly. The world is is dynamic and uh, f- and filled with the divine energy. But we don't see that. We don't sense that. So, but in order to create a soul, a stone which is which is the which has no transparent energy, to most people it's it's a it's a revolution. If you teach it to tell them that the Torah teaches us that the stone has a soul. Today, with modern physics, we can appreciate it. But before modern physics, this was like a stone has a soul because it's the opposite; it's the exact opposite of of, of the way it appears for the naked eye. But this is what the Arizal writes five hundred years ago that the stone has a soul because it has a divine energy. So to create an object that appears to be soulless and lifeless, the letters can't be direct letters. These are the letters and words. The word Evan is found in the Ten, Com- Ten Utterances, but it has to come about through, through substitute letters, through... We don't know exactly how it's done, but everything is in there. Substitute letters, uh, exchange of letters, numerical values, until you end up with, with stone. All the it, has a soul, I don't it has a soul, meaning that it exists. In order for it to exist, mm-hmm. there has to be a divine energy. Right. that's channeled through right. the letters Evan. So therefore, what is the stone really? Well, for us, for us moderns, it's a little easier to relate to because we know, we all went to school, we all learned modern physics, and we all know that what is a stone really? It's atoms, it's energy. Right. So matter is energy. It's not the stone. The stone is, is a swirling energy. And what's inside the atom? Nothing. 99.9% empty. The atom is a swirling energy that creates a sense of solidity, and, and, and we, we get the stone. But what's really, what's the real story of the stone? It's, not, it's atoms. No one has ever seen an atom. Not because, because we can't see an atom. It's sensory. It's pure energy. But that, that's the reality of the stone. So that's the idea that the stone has a soul. The stone is not what it appears to be. The stone is, is, is alive. It's energy.
3: I mean, do you say it in terms of the fact
1: that you should respect a stone? No, 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 no. I're not saying a stone has individuality or personality character. I, we know some people, uh, we, some, sometimes we, our hearts are like stones, and we don't move and we don't change and, and uh, we're just asleep and we're just uh, like a stone. We're satisfied with ourselves, we're content. so spiritually we're like a stone. You know we're happy with ourselves and we're not open, we're not open to change, but but a stone, no, it doesn't mean a stone has a personality and a character and, don't, and we don't start speaking to the stone. Although it does say, Mashiach will come, it says that the stone, the stone will speak, the stone will speak up. And the stone, the stone will... For, for, exactly, the, the four walls of the house will testify, <laughs> the four walls of the house will testify, will, uh, will speak up, right? And now we're seeing more and more I mean, silicon. Well, what's silicon? It's, 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 it's a sand, a grain of sand. And, and, and look at the intelligence. Yeah, uh, silicon,
3: like intelligence, intelligence, intelligence,
1: right. And, and, uh, and, you know, they're, they're going to put intelligence, even everything will have intelligence. They're talking about intelligent roads, intelligent highways, intelligent walls. Intelligence, so the intelligence is, is, is reaching out. Knowledge and intelligence and awareness is reaching out even into the inanimate. And, and that's just, coming out more and more. You shouldn't just
3: pick a leaf off a tree for
1: no reason. <clears throat> no, no, no. I, a soul has a life creative energy that's creating it. No, a soul, soul doesn't... Uh, don't name your stone and don't start speaking to your stone and don't... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't uh, <They laughs> stone. Have, it's a stone. It's a stone. You can bang your head on it. But, uh, but, but it says if a Jew walks down the street and a Jew doesn't think Torah, doesn't think words of Torah, the mind is empty, the head is empty, the stone, the street, speaks up and says, "Bulach," like you, you blockhead, you, 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 you hick, why are you walking on me? I should be stepping on you. What right do you have to step on me? If you're acting like a human being, created in the image of God, and you're thinking words of Torah, and your mind is occupied with a higher consciousness, with a higher thought, with the purpose of your creation, then you have a right to step on me. It's an honor for me that you step on me. But if you're empty, and you're thinking of nothing, and there's no content to your life, what right do you have to step on me? You're a stone. I should be stepping on you. And when Mashiach will come. Even the walls will speak. The stone will speak. So when Mashiach will come. If a Jew will come, and tear off a leaf from from a tree, the leaf will cry out. It's Shabbos. Why Why are you tearing me off? It's Shabbos. Don't be doing. It. But you know, we're getting it. We're getting an inkling of it today because today. I mean, they're, they're talking about intelligent clothes. <laughs> clothes that are intelligent. They're, they're going to put intelligence into the walls of your house, into everything. You know, intelligent highways. So it, 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 we're, we're seeing that idea that really everything is a soul. Everything is really godly. Everything is really filled with knowledge and intelligence. It's just this materialistic crust that covers up. And the world appears to be a course selfish, self-centered, materialistic, fragmented place, when the truth is just the opposite. The world is vibrant, the world is dynamic, the world is godly, the world is being recreated each and every moment. It's a brand new world each and every moment. It's being recreated each and every moment. Every moment is new. You want to you continue?
3: New creatures are created that are of lower levels than the beings created from the original letters themselves. For they, the substituted letters, by way of illustration, resemble the light that shines upon the earth at night from the moon and the moonlight is from the sun. Hence, the light which is on the earth is a light reflected from the light of the sun.
1: The moon reflects the earth's light. The moon doesn't have any of its own light. In many places it does say that the moon does have its own light, but the only way to trigger that light is from the light of the sun. When the light of the sun hits the moon, it triggers the light of the moon for example, like male and female, masculine and feminine, feminine husband and wife, that although the, um, the one that creates is actually the feminine, is actually the mother, the woman, she's the creator. Only God has the power to create and he gave that power to women. Uh, men only make a contribution, but they are the one who trigger the process. So the, it's a, it's the, the sun is like the masculine and the moon is a feminine. So, but it's a reflection of the light of the sun. So, he's using that analogy that the letter, the actual sentence in the Ten Utterances found in the Torah and the Book of Genesis, that's like the sun. But from that letters, from that sentence, you get the energy is channeled through the substitutions and exchanges it's channeled through into different words and different letters and different combinations and different first letters that create a different entity, a more diffused entity, a more differentiated entity. So that's like the light of this moon that reflects the light of the sun. So the light of the sun is direct, is intense. You can't look directly at the sun. You can look directly at the moon. You can receive the light of the moon. It's easier to receive the light of the moon. You can't receive the light of the sun. You look directly at the light of the sun, it's going to blind you. So you can't receive it. So only a greater entity could receive the light of the sun. The entities that are created, that are mentioned in the ten utterances in the book of Genesis, they are the greater entities that could receive directly from the divine utterances, from the divine words or divine letters. But the all other creatures that are created from those letters with the substitutions, they are like the light of the sun that could receive it. like They receive it as a reflection, and it's easier for them to receive the light, and the light could then be reflected and diffused into all these different entities, into these pluralistic entities and this almost infinite variety of entities that all derive and stem from that single utterance. Okay, Continue, exactly so.
3: Exactly so, allegorically speaking, the letters compromising, comprising the utterances are the aggregate flow of the life force and the light and the power that issue from the attributes of the Holy One, blessed be He, to create the worlds from nothingness and to give them life and sustain them as long as such shall be His blessed will. The general life force thus emanates from the utterances themselves, from this aggregate flow and mighty radiation of the utterances themselves. God caused its similar derivations and its offshoots to shine and issue forth, these being derivations and effluences of the light from the letters. And these derivations and offshoots are the substitutions of the letters and their transpositions with which he created the particular creatures of each world. Likewise, God projected the light from the letters in another manner and caused the radiation of a radiation of a radiation to issue forth and descend from the diffusions of light from the letters. In the earlier analogy, the moon's reflected light was a radiation of the sun's radiation. The Alter Rebbe now speaks of a descent one generation further removed, merely a radiation of a radiation of a radiation. And likewise, he further caused the radiation of the radiation, etc., to issue forth and descend to the lowest level in the chain of descents, until completely inanimate beings such as stones and earth were created. And their names, Fr and Evan, the name being each object's life force, as mentioned in Chapter 1, are substitutions of substitutions, etc., and transpositions of transpositions, etc., as mentioned above. Thus the life force and existence of every created being are the letters of a particular divine utterance, and to this the creative being is utterly null- nullified. In this manner, all his creation is nullified to God and united with him. It sounds like he's talking about simpsum, is that it? Like they keep contracting until they become that object that they started out in the celestial parts?
1: The idea of simpsum is within the infinite light to actually allow letters and words to emerge, but here, He's speaking of, even within the utterance, even after Hashem spoke, and after Hashem spoke with the Hebrew letters, which is in itself the lowest level of the ten divine attributes, the level of royalty, the level of speech, even that's too powerful. That's like a sun. Even that's too powerful for our world to contain. And therefore, God has to substitute those letters and each time you substitute it, you, like, diminish it a little. You, like, it's like screening. It's like when you go, right, when the light comes through a screen, so you're able to receive the light. It, it, it dims the light, and then it goes to another screen. So here's a reflection, a reflection of the light. So I can handle the reflection. It's dimmer. It's, it's I can contain it. And even that's too powerful. Then you have to have a, a reflection of the reflection. So He says, Ha'orah, uh, the irradiation of irradiation of irradiation, until you create the lowest entities, the earth, the stone, the amoeba, the smallest entities. But ultimately, they all derive from the divine speech. And therefore, since everything that exists in this world has a divine speech, has a divine word, is only being created through God's speech and through God's letters and words, whether it's substitution or substitution of substitution, or whether it's a array a of array of array. But ultimately, it all comes back. It's all God's words in the Hebrew letter. It's all channeling of the divine speech and the divine utterances. Therefore, its entire existence is nothing other than the divine speech, the Hebrew name, the Hebrew word. And since that is its entire existence, it is being created through the divine speech through God's divine energy, and its very content is being defined by that speech because the reason why everything has its own individuality and its own characteristic uh, uh, traits and its own properties, whether it's a stone, whether, whether it's earth, whatever it may be, is only as a result of the divine words. The word Afar creates earth. The word Evan creates a stone with all the properties of a stone and all the variety within stone. Because you have, you have stones, you have gems, and you have all different types. The world of stones is almost <laughs> infinite, just the world of stone. And yeah. all of that is created in the word of Evan, which derive, ultimately derive from, from the ten divine attributes. So every single object in this world has a Hebrew name, which represents and reflects the divine energy being channeled into, to create this particular object with its particular unique characteristics. And properties, therefore, everything that exists has a a divine energy, like one of the ten utterances is that the ground should grow, should create, and that that 's the energy that 's the power that whenever you plant a seed into the ground, it will grow because that 's the divine energy, the divine 's utterance that the ground should have this ability, this infinite ability to create, which is a miracle an act of creation. <coughs> Only earth has that ability. You place something in the ground and it grows. Nothing else has that ability because it's the divine energy that, that is constantly empowering and creating uh, this ability, giving this ability to the ground to, to, to create. So this comes about through the divine utterances. So the divine utterances shapes and defines every individual object that exists. So the very content and our very being and our very existence and our very personality and character and everything about us is only, only comes about through, through the divine energy, through the Hebrew letters and, and, and the Hebrew words. So therefore we are completely nullified within God because we are nothing without God. Our whole being, our whole existence, our whole essence, everything about us, our shape, our definition, our personality, individuality, everything about us comes from God. Because the energy comes from the infinite energy to create, and even the shape and the channeling of that energy, how that energy expresses itself. It's the same divine energy. Everything is made up of the same infinite light. Everything is made up of the same divine energy. It's the same atom. It's atoms. Atoms make up everything, whether it's a table, a book, a chair, a tree, everything. But how that energy, how that divine energy is channeled and shaped to create all the different entities almost infinite variety of entities that exist, both in the physical world as well as in the spiritual world. Who channels that energy? It's Hashem's speech that channels it. It's Hashem's letters. So the, 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 not only in general, our very being in existence only comes about because of God's creative energy, only God has the ability to create, but also our very self-definition, our very content, also comes from Hashem. So therefore, we are nothing other than godliness. Our very substance is godliness. Our very shape and definition is godliness. We are nothing other than the divine energy. It's Hashem and His infinite ability to transform energy into matter, to transform spiritual into physical, to transform His speech and His letters and His light, so to speak, into the physical world. So what is the physical world really? What is all of creation? It's nothing. Spiritual world. What is the spiritual world? What is all of creation? Higher levels of consciousness. Anything, everything is nothing other than Hashem Himself, where Hashem is transforming Himself, so to speak, into everything. So we are really nothing other than Hashem. Everything in this world, everything in this universe, is totally nullified before Hashem. So everything, in a sense, is really unified with God. There's nothing outside of God. There's nothing separate from God. Everything is really connected. So if you're looking to be connected with Hashem, you don't have to go far. You don't have to do something to be connected. By your very being, you're already connected. By your very existence, you're already connected. By your very essence, you're connected. You're connected to your very core. The fact that you exist, your whole being, your whole existence, everything about you is, is godly. Is nothing other than godliness. So You're ready, connect. And it's our choice, and it's our mission, and our choice to live that connection, to reveal that connection. That's a Jew's mission. We are the connectors. Our mission is to connect, to reveal that connection, where our lives become a reflection of Hashem. We create an image of Hashem. Our lives become a reflection, where we express that divine energy that electricity inside of us, that, that everything about, our, about us comes alive. When you're connected to Hashem, and your whole life is connected to Hashem, in every waking moment, in every fiber of your being, and every bone in your body, 24-7, you're connected with Hashem, whether you're connecting through prayer, whether you're connecting through studying Torah, whether you're connecting by doing a good deed, or whether you're connecting by going about your life, in a moral, ethical, and a kosher way, doing business, eating, yeah. eating kosher, drinking, sleeping, taking care of all your physical needs, but doing, going about it in a kosher way and doing it with a higher purpose, then you are connected 24-7. And it's not a connection you have to create. The connection is there. You're already connected. That's the good news. You're already connected. You just have to reveal that connection. And that's, that's the whole Hasidic way of life. This is the whole revolution of the Tanya, the whole revolution of the Baal Shemtev, that This part of the Tanya is here to clarify and to explain the whole revolution of the Baal Shemtev. The whole revolution of the Baal Shemtev is that to be godly is not to become otherworldly. That a person has to become some saint or some otherworldly being or some holy, holy roller.
0: <laughs>
1: you want to be godly. It's not something you have to create. It's the most natural thing in the world. It's being in touch with your, with your, with your very being. It's being in touch with your, with your own essence. That is you. That is your essence. Your essence is God. Your whole existence is God. Your very substance is God. Your very individuality and all the quirks of your being and all, everything about you. is is created and defined and channeled through Hashem's own speech and Hashem's own words and Hashem's own communication, Hashem's own energy. There is nothing else. The limitation itself also comes from Hashem. (laughs) The channeling comes from Hashem. The limitation, the definition, everything comes from Hashem. The definition that defines one being, a stone is different than another entity. Everything comes from Hashem. The differentiation itself, the diversity itself, comes from Hashem. So everything is really God. And it's, and it's natural. It's who you are. So when you
2: do an Avera, you're disconnecting?
1: Or? Right. When you're doing an Avera, it's like, it's like jumping into fire. You listen, a person can jump into fire. You know, you want to you wanna live, a person naturally, instinctively wants to live. But we live in a mad world. And in a mad world, people can choose to blow themselves up. It goes contrary to your very essence. Your very essence is the most basic desire in life is you want to live, you want to continue to live. But a person has choice. You can choose to jump in the fire. Even an animal, animals don't commit suicide. Animals don't jump into fire. For a Jew to sin, in a sense, it's like it's suicidal because you're going against your your essence. You're choosing to jump into fire. You're going. You're you're doing. You're doing battle with your own essence. You can shout from today till tomorrow, it feels natural, it feels good, this is the real me. It's Baba You're fighting against your essence. You're fighting against yourself. And you'll never be happy. You'll only be miserable. You can't be happy. As much as you proclaim from the rooftops that you're happy, it's impossible. It's not true. You're very miserable. Because how can you be happy when you're fighting against your own essence? And that's what the Torah promises. The Torah promises that eventually Mashiach will come. Why is that a promise? How do we know Mashiach will come? Maybe maybe the status quo will continue. Just like it continued for thousands of years, maybe uh, we'll continue to mess things up, as we have been doing for the last few thousand years. And uh, how do we know Mashiach? uh, How are we so certain Mashiach is coming? And Mashiach is imminent. In any moment, we're going to cross the threshold. Maybe life will just continue. We'll just go on our happy... Uh, our merry way and we'll continue with the status quo. And the answer is because inevitably the essence will emerge. The essence will surface. You can't fight against your essence forever. It's unnatural. It's an unnatural state of being. Every moment of exile is an unnatural state of being. How long could a person go and act so unnaturally? Jump into fire. And even if you've been doing it for thousands of years, you never get used to it. It's not like it becomes normal. As much as you delude yourself and society claims it's normal, it's not. It never was and never will be, no matter what you say. Because it goes against your essence. What is normal? What is reality? That's the Torah. That's the reality. Torah is reality. That's Hashem's vision for this world. And inevitably that vision will materialize. The entire world, every single Jew, inevitably, Hashem promises, every single Jew, every last Jew will come home, will reconnect. And every non-Jew, six billion people, will live a righteous life, will, will become righteous Gentiles, claim their potential as children of Noah, live up to Noah's role model, and they will lead moral, ethical, and spiritual lives and they will become righteous and the Torah promises and it's inevitable. That's reality. Everything else is a dream. People sleepwalk through life. Most people are asleep. You have different levels of sleep. You have people who are light sleepers, you have people who are deep sleepers, you have people who are, in, who are faint, you have people who are in a coma, semi-comas, you have really different levels of trance, you know how deep how deep asleep we are, how out of touch with the reality we are, how what synthetic world we live in how synthetic our lives are, how external or superficial our lives are. But it doesn't change the reality. Reality is at the core, at the core of our reality is godliness. That's our core, that's our essence. And inevitably, the Torah promises that every one of us will wake up to that reality.
3: What do you, what do you say to a person that says, Hashem wants me the way I am and wants me to have a good time
1: and, you know, I'm a good person? And- that's the story of the stone. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what the stone says. I'm very happy. I'm content. I'm okay where I am. But if a person is like a stone, it's a, that's, it's, it's a tragedy. A stone could is very happy sitting in one place for thousands of years. And there's nothing wrong with a stone. A stone is being a stone. A stone fulfills its destiny. Imagine if you take an animal. If you take a tree and try to treat a tree like a stone. Instead of growing, you block the growth and let the tree sit there the tree will be miserable because you're not allowing the tree to grow. Imagine if you take an animal and you lock them up in a zoo and you can find them and you don't allow them to roam and they grow like a tree. They're going to grow like a tree in a cage. Only grow one way. That's cruel to animals because an animal needs to roam. It's good for a tree. It's not good for an animal. Imagine you take a human being and you treat him like an animal. Run around in the wilds. Run loose. Be happy. Climb trees. (laughs) It, it, the person will be miserable. A person has a mind. A person has imagination. A person needs education. A person wants to learn. A person wants to think. A person wants to mm-hmm. ask why. A person wants to figure out the bigger picture. Don't express your Jewish destiny or your Jewish history or your Jewish connection for a Jew. That's, that's imprisonment. So for a person to say that, yeah, I'm happy and I'm fine, it, it's sad. That's a tragedy. Right. That, that means a person's asleep. Mm-hmm. The good news is, what Hashem is telling us, Hashem looks us in the eye, every one of us, and says, listen, I love you unconditionally. And I love you for who you are, for who you really are. The good news is, we're not who we think we are. That's the good news. There's so much more to us. If we were who we thought we were, it would be a tragedy. It would be a Rahmanas. That's all there is to us. It would be pretty sad. The good news is, there's not who we think we are. There's so much more to us. There's so much depth, there's so infinite depth to every one of us, because every one of us has a divine essence, a divine spark. And once you get in touch with that godliness, you come alive. The person comes alive. It's like electric. The person comes alive. And, and suddenly you're, you're natural, you're whole, you're consistent, you're inside like outside, you're, li- you're alive. It's like a person being awake, a person being asleep. When you're asleep, you can have the best dreams, the most mesmerizing dreams. You can in your dream you could be a senator, and in your dream you could be a billionaire, and you could dream you could be a a, a movie producer, and you know like in real life. But it's a dream; it's not real. But when you're awake, and you're in touch with your Godliness, and your life is driven and motivated, you want to connect with Hashem, and you're connecting to Hashem every day of your life, and you feel connected throughout your day, twenty-four-seven, whether it's through davening, or through learning, or through doing a mitzvah, or just going about your life and living a Jewish life, a wholesome life. You're alive. You're real. You're, you're tapping into reality. That's reality. One moment of reality is worth more than, than, than 70 years of delusion.
3: So he was asking about the sins. You said he gave us the Torah. There is Torah Shabbat, Torah Bektav. What do you define as a sin? Somebody who kills, that's a sin from the Torah that a Jewish person should not do, you should not kill. So somebody who doesn't kill and live his life, normally, yeah, he's connected with God. He doesn't commit no sins. So what's a sin?
1: Well, the oral Torah elaborates. The Torah is written in code, very succinct.
3: The Torah Torah. The
1: written, yeah, the Torah, Torah, written Torah. It's written in code. For example, don't kill. There are many variations of thou shalt not kill. The Talmud says if you embarrass someone in public, then it's
3: like you're killing, it's like you're killing them yes.
1: because their blood leaves their face, or rushes to their face, and, and, and uh, it's, like, it's like killing them. It's, it's a subtle way of killing them. It's a package deal. The Torah was given ten commandments, one and one. first five are the of the man and God. The second five are the of the man and man. You can't have one without the other. A Jew who's connected with the divine, with Hashem, it feels connected with Hashem, It's motivated throughout his life. His life, what motivates him? What gives him life? When does he come alive? When he's connected with Hashem. He's like plugged in. He feels alive. He feels connected. He feels vibrant, whole. That Jew will also be careful between man and man and not only careful about the simple things, the obvious things. If I don't murder and I don't rape, okay, I'm already already a tzaddik. No. There's a subtle, even the subtle things. Don't embarrass. Be caring, be sensitive. The subtle things. Don't say a bad word about another person. Think good about the other person. See the good in the other person. Highlight, focus on the good. The subtle things. Because when, when you're connected with Hashem, and you realize that every Jew has the same connection, every Jew has that neshama, and every Jew has that divine essence, and we're all one, and we're all connected, and Hashem loves that Jew. How can, if I love Hashem, how can I not love and care and respect that Jew? Then, that, that helps us keep the other thing. But if you throw out the Hashem, the mitzvotim man and God, and you say, I'm a good person. I don't need the mitzvotim man and God. I'm a good person. It doesn't work. You can't have one without the other. It's a package deal.
3: So mm-hmm. one that works... On Shabbos, is, is committing a sin.
1: Well, unfortunately, most Jews, most Jews today, due to no fault of their own, simply don't know better because they had no Jewish education. They never had a single positive and meaningful Jewish experience. You know, most Jews today are like uh, Beethoven's or Mozart's who grew up in a home without a piano. They have this this talent inside in them. In them they, had, they never had an outlet, so they don't know. They don't know any better, and that's why they're always looking to improve their lives. Or, you know, whether Jews invented psychology or you know, Jews are always looking and searching and uh, creating revolutions. But the neshama is there. They simply don't know. There's a lot of ignorance. Um, so it's our job, those of us who are fortunate to be exposed to the beauty of Judaism and to the wholesomeness and the beauty of Judaism and, and that Judaism is something that's it's, it's beautiful, it's elevating, it's uplifting. We have a responsibility to make every Jew feel comfortable, invite them at their own pace, let them experience, let them taste it. It's theirs. It's their inheritance. Let them claim what belongs to them. Let them experience it and try it. And you believe once you get hooked, once you taste it and you experience it, you'll you'll, you'll never be the same. A Jew who does one mitzvah will never ever be the same again. Never. A Jew who lights a Shabbos candle one time in their life, a Jew who puts on tefillin once in their life, will never ever be the same person. Because that ignites something at the deepest level. It ignites that divine spark. It just ignites it. And it plants a seed. It's like a depth charge. If it won't explode today, it'll explode in a year or two, but it's there. Any positive deed will have an eternal, everlasting effect and impact. Because again, a Jew doesn't have to be reborn again. A Jew doesn't have to be, become religious or reborn again. It's you. It's your essence. Mm-hmm. It's within you. All you have to do is, you know, just just experience it and taste it, and and, and it's your own. And every every Jew will discover it. The Torah is confident. We have to have confidence in the Jew. We have to have enough confidence in every Jew that let them taste it, let them experience it once, and they'll find their way. Because it's there, it's within them. It's like a a house of dynamite. All you do is, all you need is one little match. We have to provide that little match, one little mitzvah, and it explodes. The whole thing will explode. Lessons in Tanya,
0: taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. For more Tanya study, please visit our website at www.lessonsintanya.com.